Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. This needs to be a reaction podcast, like just a video reaction and just on you, Paul. Like oh, rea- my reaction? Yeah, reacting to the fact that we started recording and there's an event that just took place around us. Yes, we're at the uh, Center for Social Innovation and it's a, it's a real hit or miss here. I record here a lot and sometimes it's like you can hear a pin drop and everything's great. And sometimes uh, about 30 people all of a sudden show up just as you hit record. <laughs> And that is what is behind us. If it sounds like we're like in a large crowded bar or restaurant or something like that, we might as well be. We might as well. We're pretty much next door to something that is effectively a large crowded bar. Right. (laughs) But without alcohol, maybe. Yeah. Although there there might be alcohol. Yeah. We haven't checked. I don't know. Um, So, uh, Monica, you you actually came back for another episode. This is exciting. Oh, my God. I know. It was really strange. I I went away. Yes. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, shit, there's something I have to do. Came right back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's good because it's not, you know, we don't record all of these at the same time or anything like that. No, definitely not. No. That reminds me, I don't know, wish I knew the comedian that this happened to, but he had, like, two sets. They were, like, spread out, and then he, like, left to take a walk and was late for a second set. Oh, yeah. I feel like that would be great if this was, that's what I did, you know, if I yeah. just, like, all right, no, I'll meet you later, okay. came back, just didn't make just it on time. Didn't come, didn't, maybe just didn't come back at all. But the herd of buffaloes behind yes. us stayed. Yeah, and they can all maybe host the show. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so you're back again. What are, what are we uh, What are we going to talk about today? I thought it'd be cool to talk about reactions to stories. Reactions, because we t- a lot of times on storytelling shows or people talk about like the process of getting to the story, telling the story, but not what happens after, right? Because mm. so, we obviously have this experience where you tell a story, and you and I have experience having done it a number of times, so it's not disconcerting, but. We've told a story and then people talk to you about the story, which is, they they have the right to, but it's weird sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is your life that you've talked about and then sometimes people have questions, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Elaborate about that painful experience you had. Mm-hmm. And it's completely, completely understandable. And for me, fine in the context, but I wonder about people who don't tell stories frequently and, and what that experience is like. Do you have any any input on that? Um, I, you know, it's been it like um, so. You're talking like people that are perform like to, to tell a story at our yeah. event, and then they're kind of the way they've gone, like what their reaction is, or what? Yeah, what they've heard people come to them, yeah. talking to them about. Uh, you know, I I think a, a it is a very common thing, and I know like this is sort of the ideal thing that you want is is the is for people in the audience to connect with what the person is talking about. So that's always very nice to hear. And it actually does happen quite a bit where somebody says something, uh, tells a story that is very personal or intimate, then they... They get, they get surprised, especially the people that this is the first time they've never done anything like this before. I think they get so surprised because I think people... Um, I think people tend to carry these stories around with them. And you and I, we're spewing all kinds of crap about our lives At to everybody. At all times, to, everyone, to, yeah. To anybody that'll listen. <laughs> Pretty much. But, but I do honestly believe that I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people, uh, they carry these things around. They have no way to really mm. express them. So I think there's a bit of surprise sometimes because they 
tell a story and then there's people coming up to them and saying i have the same i've experienced the same yeah. kind of thing i had the same thing this is what happened to me and i it's uh, it's always is kind of nice to to see that to have that experience yeah i mean i when i told a story about a particularly painful not exactly breakup but involvement with somebody that that didn't wrap up well um i had someone come up to me and was like very sincerely grateful and was like thank you so much like that's the story i needed to hear and i guess he was probably going through something similar at the time and hearing someone else have that experience you just obviously feel less alone mm-hmm. and you yeah it's especially one of those things where it's like i was kind of ghosted in that way it was it's more painful than that but I, I think that when someone else has an experience like that then they're like wow this is almost exactly like my experience and i feel like a little bit less like garbage maybe yeah. <laughs> well you know some of the good things i think um i've heard uh, the reaction of people is that they've they've actually been able it's actually helped them change if they're talking about something that was not particularly pleasant it's helped them change the narrative of how they think about it, yeah. which I think is good. I think that's a really important thing that is a, that can happen. And it can happen like weirdly fast mm. with getting up in front and sharing that story to people. Um, we have had the odd person that just decides to like be completely judgmental on people. I think oh. you probably heard this. You probably maybe <laughs> there might be maybe more I, of this in the I comedy was the world. No, I'm just kidding. No, there might be more of this in the comedy world where people feel there are some people we don't get them often in our audience, but that feel the need to go up to a storyteller and say, "Why did you treat your parents like that, or oh, why did dear. you do that?" Yeah, and, that's brutal. And you go, "That's not. That's not. It's not necessarily just. You know what?" <laughs> That's it's that's a keep it to yourself. That's, it's like a should I, I'll, I'll say it in my head, and, then I'll, and I'll be like, "Is that necessary?" And then you say no, and then you don't say anything out of your mouth. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot less sense in the storytelling context than it does like when I perform comedy. Sometimes the audience is drunk, right. and and drunk people have a lot of input. Um, and I had that recently. I have a, a whole bunch of material about suicide, as you know, Paul, mm. <laughs> from the time you were there watching, and I got up and he said. Well, that's that was all about suicide. But I have like this thing about the the conflict of, of feelings, you know, mm-hmm. contemplating suicide. Not so much like I'm going to do it, but more like the adulation, suicidal adulation, where it's like it seems like a potential option mm-hmm. <laughs> out of things. And uh, so I have a whole bunch of jokes about that. And uh, someone came up to me the other night, and she had been so like attentive during my material and laughing and stuff that you know you obviously can't shut somebody down when they come and talk to you about it. But she was like, you know, stop, stop talking about that stuff. You know, it's just. And then she's like, you know what? You have to be happy. And like, it was like a really interesting. Like, that's not advice. Uh, but also, she was like, I'm just, I'm a very happy-go-lucky person. And I'm like, you're drinking. You know. And I couldn't say that, but that's what I wanted to say. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I am sober at all times. And like, I've made jokes about this, but it's like that. There's one big problem with that, which is reality. Yeah. It's there all the time. <laughs> you don't get to escape from it so Mm -hmm. like it was interesting because she had a lot of advice but basically just don't do that like what you were talking about all that material stop doing that stop Mm -hmm. talking about that stuff because it makes other people feel bad (laughs) you're like okay i don't know i don't Mm -hmm. know i don't really know how to address this so it's a totally different context obviously Mm -hmm. yeah i i um i do generally feel or i i i do feel that um most of the people 
that that sort of go through the process of of our event um they generally seem pretty like happy about it because we're mm. we do try and um you know i when i say like oh we do try to like support people i don't mean like in a um that was a good point that was such yeah, a good point that, that they clapped clap. to it yeah um I guess I just like a, not in a fluffy kind of like oh you know way where people like we just want people to be able to go as far as they want mm-hmm. where they feel comfortable and um, I don't know I, I I at least I haven't heard of of a of a necessarily bad reaction yeah you guys have had you have such a good audience like such a sincerely. Uh, kind open audience who doesn't seem they don't seem critical or judgmental they want to hear these stories and sometimes they may not totally be able to relate to every one of the stories but they're open to them well you know that's a that's a that's a really good point i mean i don't i i think we're we're maybe veering off into audience territory like what the Mm. audience reaction is but whatever because it's it's this it's connected i think is that um i think sometimes People really, I, I just like that people um, do come in with, like you said, an open sort of mind, and they understand nuances, and right. and that other people have different lives and different. That that's why they're there is they want to hear about these different things. Where right. I think in some of these situations that you've told me about, anyways, mm. and in, in, in some, it is just that it's like people have this weird expectation. And then if you veer off of like what they are coming here to listen to or to hear or whatever, and if you veer off that, they don't, it's like they can't go with it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think humor is difficult in that sense because people are very attached to what they find funny being the only thing that's funny. So that if... They can't really see... Right. Even if other people around them laughed, or at least, you know, a quarter of the audience laughed... It's still not funny if they don't find that topic funny. Right. And, and that's a, a whole different situation. But I think that the, it's a lot more, people are a bit more open-minded in the context of storytelling because there's not an agenda of like, okay, the, the end result is they laugh, right? The, right? the end result is they have an experience they're mo- they list they hear something that might be different they learn something about people and you know humanity well you know i don't want to sound lofty but i think that that's the experience they want to have is they want to learn mm. about an experience that maybe isn't their experience right and right whenever i'm there at the event and you know people talk about things like erin for instance obviously her experience with um growing up the way she did is a, a completely unique experience and one that is totally alien to my experience and it's it's very interesting obviously to hear that to Mm -hmm. be like wow that really that's that's how she was shaped you know like she's an exceptional person it's just interesting to hear like okay that's what she went through to get where she is Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to hear people's unique experiences because everyone has a completely unique experience about like how they grew up or what's shaped them and i love hearing those stories right and so I'll one last thing yeah. I'll ask you is that <clears throat> just for for myself, mm-hmm. it's only really happened I think once or twice where I had a bad reaction Ooh. to a story that I told. Okay, and and it usually happens when um, 
it's about something that is important to me okay. and I didn't either wasn't able to put the work into it that I wanted and you kind of you know steady yourself up or build yourself up for the story and then as when you're when I'm in it mm-hmm. I'd be like oh this isn't like I'm not saying what I want to say about this or, or During, whatever. During, when you're telling the story, yeah, yeah. you have and then, that experience. And then afterwards, just go like, oh, that kind of sucked. Because huh. I, 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 when I wanted to talk about whatever that subject was, I wanted it to be like the best story that I ever right. you know, did or whatever. But what right. are some like reactions you've had? I think that was a concern I had when I told... Uh, there was a story I told on... Uh, it was a third story I told, I think. And I talked about... Um, being in a very precarious, dangerous situation that I, at the time, did not know was a precarious, dangerous situation. Um, And uh, I think that my conflict... I don't think that I had necessarily a conflict telling the story, except that I didn't necessarily want to make people uncomfortable, given that people do have similar experiences that are very jarring. Uh, But I think that I felt, as a a typical actor-slash-performer, I was frustrated because I liked the two stories I told before so much that this wasn't going to be as good. <laughs> like, even though it's true and uh, a decent story and, like, <laughs> disturbing as fuck, but for some reason I was very attached to the fact that I didn't want it to be a letdown in comparison to the other stories, which were, like, a little bit heart-wrenching for me to get down to paper. Mm-hmm. This was weird, but it wasn't... Because the, also so much time had elapsed. Like, the first two stories I told, they were the experiences were very recent, you know, mm-hmm. like within that year or, or two years, right? Um, and and then this one was something that happened when I was like 23, which at the time was like probably 17, 18 years before. So it wasn't like very recent or painful. It was just like, oh, that's a weird thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, that was my conflict was as an artist. I just didn't feel like it was going to be as good as the other two stories. Mm. Yeah, that was that's probably the, <laughs> had to be something narcissistic. You knew that. No, you asked the question. Um, so why don't we uh, go to our story for this week, and um, uh, hopefully you will. Hopefully you're having a, a good enough time that you will come back. I I, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. When I was about 24, the internet as it exists now was new, email was new, and groups, although then they were mostly Yahoo ones, were gaining popularity as a way to connect. I feel that explanation might be most appropriate engraved on my senior's medical alert bracelet. I was part of a group for amateur models and photographers. I'm 4 foot 10, so any modeling I'd be doing would have to be amateur, or a photo double for a little person. Still. It was fun to have photos taken of me, to experiment with posing, to see tangible representations of how I looked. Sometimes I'd look really soft and pretty, and since I was an actor who was largely not getting cast, in part because I was not attractive in a way that the industry classified as appealing, it was flattering to model, and refreshing to see myself, get confirmation that I was not, in fact, so undesirable or freakish. I had befriended the group's informal leader, moderator, Carl, who would occasionally post and organize workshops. I would meet photographers posting on the board and shoot with them. Most often, the shoots would happen within a formal structure, a group of photographers and models. I was a number of months in when a fellow named Ed contacted me. He was a man in his late 20s who had some decent photographs. We spoke on the phone. 
He told me he took the pictures in his apartment. This is what we, in the business, call a fucking red flag. You don't do that. You don't go to a stranger's house. Unless you know a lot about the photographer or you have endorsements from other models. No thanks is probably the best answer to that. But that's a hard thing to say. My parents, when I was a preteen, had a guy who often did repairs around the house. He would leer at me and comment about my breasts and how well I was developing. I told my parents, who responded, well, he's the worst, he, sorry, well, he's the best workman we've found. My solution was then to ignore him, even when he spoke to me. And my parents said, he thinks you're very rude. He thinks I'm very rude. The guy making sexual remarks to a 12-year-old. I'll try to get over the stigma. <laughs> but it gets exhausting putting your foot down when you're female. It comes across as rude, as bitchy, so often, when it feels like the basic rules should be so much more clear. In general, I had a lot of anxiety, similar to my folks. Constant fear that anything could go wrong. Escalating what-ifs occupied my brain more than any other activity. When I felt fear, I had to wonder if it was based on anything real. So I'd have to bite back the fear and plunge forward, if I wanted anything better for my life. Because most of the time, what I was scared about had no basis in reality. And I know this was stupid. To be paranoid. To not take risks. So when this guy, Ed, told me his apartment was where he shot the pictures, instead of saying, that does not sound good, I employed what I felt was a foolproof murder method of rape and murder prevention. I said, okay, I trust you. Foolproof. It's odd that it's not taught in any self-defense course. I somehow viewed this statement as a type of kryptonite against evil doing, like someone with bad intentions would think twice. Oh, I was planning to hurt her, but damn, she gave me her trust. The shoot with Ed turned out to be pretty standard. We shot some pictures, and he told me a bit too much about his life and problems. The amateur photographers I worked with did this often. I'd hear about divorces, girlfriend drama, their general issues. Somehow a scantily clad girl served as a type of truth serum. Why this isn't used more at police interrogations, I'll never know. At one point, Ed said, let's take a break. And we sat on the couch. He asked me some questions and began massaging my shoulders. This also happens a lot. I've had anyone from guys on dates to bosses at workplaces do it. If you're female, the best way to get a massage is not to want one. For clarity, no guy randomly massages, sorry, for clarity, no guy randomly massages a woman out of kindness. No one thinks, this woman looks tense. Let me use my considerable lack of massage training and help her unwind. I think it's a foot-in-the-door technique, something they hope will be a step towards the cock in the cooch. If I touch her, if I push this boundary and she doesn't stop me, I can move forward. Maybe she won't say no at all. It wouldn't be until over a decade later, in my mid-30s, that I would stop someone when they pulled this move. That would be at a lunch after a small technology conference. I knew most of the people at the table of about eight, casually and fondly, except one man who was friends with a few of the others. He sat next to me and at one point put his hands on my shoulders and started the unsolicited massage. I found myself tensing up, the antithesis of a massage's purpose. I hate this, I thought. I want it to stop. But if I say anything, it will make him uncomfortable, make everyone at the table uncomfortable. And then it occurred to me what absolute bullshit this was. 
and how bizarrely ingrained, not making someone uncomfortable for something inappropriate they were knowingly doing. I thought, yeah, this is part of why these guys get away with it, because we're always looking for a way to not make them feel bad. Enough. I put my hand on the massager's hand, took it off me, and without a word, placed it back on him. But a decade before, it mattered more to me to protect someone else from discomfort. So I didn't do or say anything when Ed, the photographer, massaged my shoulders. And then, when he went into the kitchen and made a drink that used a blender and handed it to me, I thought, I never asked for this drink. But I didn't know how to say that. So I sipped at the pina colada-like concoction, drank a minuscule amount, and then, a little while later, told him I had to leave. I'd like to say, I felt a huge, overwhelming suspicion. I knew something was wrong. That's what's usually said in these kinds of stories. But I didn't. I felt uncomfortable, in part because of some of the things he was doing, but that was only a fraction of why I felt weird and of why I left. It was largely that I was generally awkward. That so I sometimes felt really trapped around people I didn't know well. And I didn't like to drink around them and get falsely comfortable and wake up feeling gross. And the other fraction was that, as it happened many, many times, many, many, many times, I was in a dysfunctional pseudo relationship with a guy who was becoming more and more distant once I'd fallen for him. And once again, it was depressing the fuck out of me. And all I really wanted to do was be home and cry. So I left to go home and continue being depressed on my own. And the next morning, I was at my office alone, checking my email, when I saw a message sent by Carl, the informal leader, to all the members of the modeling and photography group. It read, a model in this group was raped yesterday. She woke up in the morning in the photographer's apartment and knew something was very wrong. He had apparently slipped a drug like Rohypnol into her drink. She went to the hospital for tests and is very shaken up. The photographer's name was... And then my stomach plummeted and my body went cold. There was Ed's name. The night I was there yesterday was the night of the day the other girl had left. The same day. I'll give the guy this much. As a rapist, he was trying to be really productive, especially for a Sunday. I eventually got out of my catatonic state. I called Carl, told him the story. I gave him my number if the girl wanted to get in touch with me in case I could do anything or knew anything that could help her case. Her father called me, a gentle and kind man. She had called him to pick her up. He was the one who drove her to the hospital. He was so grateful for me for getting in touch, and I cringed at the pain in his voice. I never spoke to her, but I did speak to police, and I told my story to a female detective who called. And I think I said about every one of my actions, and I know this was stupid. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Stories We Don't Tell. You can subscribe on iTunes, uh, where you can leave a comment. You also can like Facebook or our Facebook page, depending on how you feel. You can visit storieswedonttell.org for more information. And Stefan! <laughs> Just made a, a, a making a, a guest appearance. A special appearance. <laughs> Come in, you douche. What's up? <laughs>